Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 to 18. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he he left his servant there, while he himself went went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back to the Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, from Abel-Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, 
all, that, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. We're in a series called Still Knowing. Um, uh, we're in the third part of that series. If you've missed it, do catch up, but this will be a kind of message that will stand alone in itself. It's a really a, a series um, that we're calling like a spiritual kind of highway code. Stop, look, listen, and live to help you not just uh, survive, but thrive in a crazy, busy capital city. I think we all kind of have a, a bit of a problem in life that we get stressed. A few nods. <laughs> we get busy. Life can feel pretty overwhelming, can't it? Have you noticed that constant demand for more in your life, more emails demanding your attention, more meetings demanding your attendance, more chores demanding to get done, and whatever you don't get done like today, you put over into tomorrow's to-do list to make that even more impossible and kind of just, ah, overwhelming, and this sense of being just stressed and busy and kind of overwhelmed that has an impact on us in the way that we live and the way that we behave. Preparing for this message, I came across a great, great little story. It's about a, an honest woman, a good woman driver. She's driving along in her car. She's approaching a, a set of traffic lights that are coming. And there's this kind of stressed out, super busy guy. He's right behind her. He's tailgating her. He's really up close. And the traffic lights are just to, gone to, to amber. And so the honest woman does the right thing. I go, they're going to go to red soon, so I'm going to stop. She slows down. The guy behind, he wanted to go through behind her through the traffic lights. You know, he's got seconds to make up his life is so busy and important and so he's mad at this lady in front of her for stopping so he's like beeping his horn he's like gesturing he's getting really wound up behind her and all of that and then a comes on the window of his car and he like looks up and it's the face of a really serious looking police officer <laughs> and, and long story short he ends up in a police station and the guy puts him into a police cell there he spends a few hours there kind of very humbling experience realizing what he's done wrong and then the police officer gets him back to the charging desk and says i'm really sorry it has been a terrible mistake um, it's just that I, I, I saw you in the, in the car, kind of, you know, this behavior. You were, you were just, you know, you're shouting off. And, and then I saw this WWJD sticker on the back of your car. Like, what would Jesus do? A little, little fish emblem. And so I just assumed that you'd stolen the car. Because, <laughs> like, that's not how a, a Christian should behave. And that man was me. Now I'm just, <laughs> I'm just playing with you this morning. <laughs> How dare you think that about me? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. The point is, it could have been me, in all honesty. It could have been me. I reckon it could be quite a lot of people in the room today. Because we have moments where we kind of slightly lose it, where we're so stressed. We think we could do more with a few extra seconds in our life, forgetting that God can do more than a second in our entire lifetime. And we get overwhelmed. And stressed out, and we stopped seeing and thinking clearly. See, our lives can become a little bit like, I hope you can see this, a jar of river water. Can you see that? And certain circumstances and things can happen that sort of shake up the jar a little bit, right? Can't they? 
your boss gives you a bit of a difficult kind of project at work. It starts to shake up a little bit. Or, um, I don't know, you've got a really tight deadline in your, your coursework at a university or, or at school. It starts to get shaken up a little bit more. Or, you know, you're, one of your kids is having a tough time at school and it starts to get sort of shaken up a little bit. And that's just the normal routine stuff of life. Now, what, what about you lose your job or your, your partner, you lose your job. That's like serious shaking now. don't know if you can hear that rattling. <laughs> it's shaking up. You get a diagnosis with cancer. It's shaken up again. Somebody that you love dies. It gets shaken up again. And just look at that chaos. Cloudy. You can't see through it anymore. It's completely obstructed. And so what needs to happen, and I hope we'll see this throughout this sermon is that it needs to go still for a while in order for all of the sediment to settle so that the water runs clear and we can think and see clearly again. That's what our lives are like. This is why we need solitude and silence. That's what this whole message is all about. Stopping to be with God and to listen to God. As a great um, 80s philosopher, very overlooked, his name was Ferris Bueller. Um, some would say he's something of a cult hero um, from the film Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And if you haven't seen that film, you haven't lived, I'm sorry um, <laughs> to insult you this morning. But he has a saying where he says, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you will miss it. Very simple truth, but God's common grace wisdom to Ferris Bueller, this is true. It's a really important discipline in the Christian life, solitude and silence. But hey, when was the last time that you heard a sermon on this subject? <laughs> Let me put it another way. Did you ever hear a sermon on this subject? I, I, I would say most people never, never heard anybody talk about this. It's one of the most neglected spiritual disciplines in following Jesus. Yet it's common throughout the whole Bible. You start to look in your Bible, you'll see it everywhere. Jesus, before every major decision that he made, God himself had solitude, time of solitude and silence with his father. I think of Paul, the man who has this amazing encounter with God on the Damascus road. He sees the resurrected Jesus Christ. It changes him. What does he go and do? He goes off to Arabia for his time of Solitude and silence, to be with God. This is a really essential discipline, but I think it's so new to most of us. You're like, what? How do I do that? I mean, he was only talking a couple of weeks back about Sabbath, and I'm still freaked out about Sabbath. I haven't managed to put it in practice yet. I don't know. I've heard some reports like that slightly turned down. They didn't say the word freaked, but like, this is hard stuff to do right. And just to encourage you with Sabbath, there's some more materials on our website of how do you take one day off a week, just like 24 hours? How do you, how do, you do that? Like when I first um, read that there was a guy who was doing that. He was an article in Christianity magazine. There's a guy called John Mark Comer, whose book I recommended. And there was this little kind of like um, shout out box in the corner of the page about his practice of Sabbath. I read that. I had a moment where I laughed out loud to my shame. Like that'll never happen. That's like impossible. And I'm now doing it because I see the seriousness of it. So I'm just saying, if it feels hard to you, stay with it. But you can add to Sabbath this great practice of, of solitude and silence. And it could be 24 hours. It could be a whole weekend. It could be just 10 or 20 minutes. And that's the beauty of it, that you can have, 
You can do it wherever you are. Just making 10, 20 minutes a key part of your day. So I'm going to talk about um, this practice of solitude and silence. I'm going to give five kind of key aspects, four other key aspects of, of that whilst we look at this passage from 1 Kings chapter 19. Before I get into it, though, I want to encourage you to get another book. Um, it's a book by Ruth Haley Barton. It's called An Invitation to Solitude and Silence. It's a really great book on this whole subject. So, the first point, first of four, sacred place. What is the context, though? It's always important to understand the context of the Bible passage that you're reading. What's the context here for Elijah? So let me recap the story a little bit. Elijah has just seen like fire fall from heaven. Like Mount Carmel. He's like taken on all these false kind of like, like uh, prophets and teachers. And they're claiming that their gods are significant. And he's like, no, my God is greater. I'll tell you, fire will fall from heaven on this altar. And I'm so confident we're going to pour water all over it and around it. Not once, not twice, but three times. Because I just want you to see that my God is so much greater than your God. Like that. And what does he see? He sees fire supernaturally fall on this altar and consume it. It's an amazing moment of victory in God and then get this there's been drought all over the land and he starts praying and he's praying with real power and persistence and passion and God sends the rain (laughs) it's an amazing kind of miraculous moment I'd love to be able to pray that way that over the whole nation today we could pray for weather to affect the weather wow this is a this amazing moment of of supernatural breakthrough. He's seen fire form from heaven. He's seen this amazing rain. And then it says, the power of the Lord came upon him and he's able to run faster than the chariot and get back a distance of more than 15 miles, like going like Usain bolting it all the way. The power of the Lord. He's had this unbelievable spiritual high and experience that we're like, I wish I could have that in my life. That would be like crazy and amazing. And then we get this chapter that comes. And it's significant. You need to get that backstory because it suddenly there's like this vulnerable moment coming off this high where this kind of evil queen comes in. She sends a horrible message to Elijah. You've got to think here like, I don't know, um, Bellatrix Lestrange from Harry Potter or, or, or Cruella de Vil if you're a Disney person. Um, this is like a really wicked evil queen and she's saying, Elijah, I am going to kill you. And she's got kind of, at a human level, the influence and the power to, to do that. So Elijah, like most of us, what does he do? He runs. <laughs> um, most of us, though, we run, I don't know, when the going gets tough and we feel stressed out and pressured and overwhelmed. We run. We definitely run. But we run to, like, hotel chocolat. <laughs> or, you know, we run to, like, Netflix. We run for comfort. Elijah does the right thing. He runs to God. That's where we need to be. But it's interesting. He runs to God to complain (laughs) and basically to say, I've had enough. You see that in the story? And he has a suicidal conversation with God. That's pretty serious. And maybe you've never reached a point in your life where where you've had a a suicidal conversation with with God. That's not true of yourself at this point. But I would say we know people in our church who've had that. It can happen, but every person here, every one of us will have had that moment where we just say, I've had enough. 
I've had enough of life now. I'm so fed up of life. It stinks. People, these people are horrible. I want to give up. I want to throw the towel in the bag. My family, my friends, my job, my whatever. I've just had enough. God, I've had enough of giving up. You may not say it out loud, but you can identify with that. In those moments, we need to go to a sacred place. We need to run to God. That's where Elijah's going. Elijah's desperate to meet with God. He knows God is what he needs. And so he makes his way to a place called Mount Horeb. It's also probably, almost certainly, Mount Sinai. Because he's got faith to encounter God in that place. Why? Because that's where God met with Moses. That's where the burning bush episode, we think, took place. That is where God gave the law through Moses. And, and this amazing kind of miracles happened around this mountain where God met with Moses. And there was fasting for 40 days. And he encountered God and he then blessed the people. But Elijah's saying, I want to go back. Because Moses met with God there. I could meet with God there and encounter God again. And there's faith rising to say, yes, this is where I need to go. So I want to stir your faith to find a place where you can encounter God. Because God is a God of the encounter. He wants to meet with you. Where will your sacred place be? It could be as simple as just an armchair um, <laughs> before you wake up in the morning. Or rather, before you wake up in the morning. <laughs> an armchair before everybody else wakes up in the morning where you just sit and you can meet with God. You know that. Or maybe it's a park bench enjoying the beauty of God's creation or a bench beside the River Thames. I, I, I don't know, but you need to find a, a place, a place where God spoke to you in the past where you can go and you can find fresh faith and say yes. Now, God is omnipresent. I'm not saying that he's not, but it's more about you having faith to meet with him and to keep meeting with him. Where's your sacred place? Elijah is very important for him to get alone. Do you notice he says goodbye to his servant, verse 3, leaves his servant behind. And then it says, he alone goes to Mount Horeb. He got alone to be with God. And he begins, actually, it's a really long journey to get to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, from where he, he is. Something you know, 200 to something like 400 miles, people think. Uh, it's a huge journey, massive distance. What's so wonderful is that God meets with him almost immediately. He doesn't have to wait till he gets all the way there. How does God meet with him? This is really interesting, and for some of us who struggle with the whole sacred-secular divide, it, it, it might, you might feel really uncomfortable with this. What does God do? God doesn't come and sort of give him a spiritual pep talk. He doesn't come and say, here's a new memory verse for you that's going to really help you in this moment. It doesn't come with some kind of greeting card, you know, a little Christian greeting card with a nice little graphical picture on the front of it. He doesn't come with, with that. I'm not, you know, downplaying that. They're important. They have their place. God comes and he ministers, firstly, to Elijah's physical needs. Oh, that's really interesting. It's about physical rest. God cares about all of you. <laughs> not just this little part of you, not just your soul. He cares about 
your whole being. He's interested in you. And some of us, some of you, are so dangerously tired, so wound up, that you're finding it impossible to rest, to enjoy God anymore. And do you know what I think God might say to you is, sleep. <laughs> Have a nap. He's clearly quite happy for that. that. That's what he did for Elijah. Elijah, almost the first thing he did is like, sleep. <laughs> this is my gift to you. I've made you this way. Have some rest. Have some sleep. It is okay to nap. Everybody, I think you think of solitude and silence, some super holy, beat myself up, self-discipline exercise. <laughs> Actually, it starts, when you look at the Bible, with sleep and a nap. You know, it's okay to nap. Not right now. <laughs> I get one of the hosting teams to escort you out. <laughs> it's okay to nap. God deals with Elijah. He's depleted. His resources have kind of gone from him. And so God refreshes him with sleep, food, and then an encouragement to exercise. It's so interesting when you look at it that way. Look at the food. Okay, this is God. Just take a step back. This is God, the almighty creator of everything, who becomes a baker for Elijah. And he makes not once but twice bread and water. That's the heart of God. That is his generous, loving character towards you. That he would stoop so low to serve you in that way, to give you food. Are you using the resources that he gives you to ensure that you're not abusing and damaging your body, but that you are growing in refreshment? Are you eating well? I'm not trying to be your mum or your dad here. But I think God would say, are you eating well? Good food. Are you kind of starving? You're one of those people who kind of doesn't ever work through, you know, work through lunch, no time for lunch. You don't stop those moments or a break or anything like that. You're damaging your body. You're withdrawing from the common grace things that God gives you. And then it's interesting that he's encouraged to get up and walk, Elijah. He's encouraged on to go on this journey. There's, there's this exercise ahead. Exercise is another common grace gift to the human race by God. Maybe you've never noticed it before, but when you exercise, wonderful little things called endorphins get released. <laughs> and they, they build up your mood. They kind of alleviate pain. They kind of, kind of, it just helps you to exercise. It clears out all of the cobwebs inside you that are kind of holding you back. And suddenly you, you feel a bit more revived. Yeah, sure, you don't want to do it when you start out. But later on in the day, you feel like, oh, wow, I feel so much better. There's exercise. Are you getting enough? Are you getting any exercise? Silence and solitude, it, it can begin with going on a run with God or a walk just to enjoy him. That's how the Bible began, a walk in a garden with God. Food, sleep, and exercise. To rest Often it begins with the body, God's provision for our bodies. Now, I want to kind of help you kind of, how do I put that into practice in sort of a solitude sort of time that I might set aside 10, 20 minutes, half an hour? How do you do that? Now, I could explain that to you or we could do it. So I figure it's going to be more fun to actually just, just do it right now, okay? Some of you are like, oh, that's awkward. <laughs> the awkward laughter, but we're going to have a go, okay? I'm just encouraging you to play along with me. 
in this. What I want you to do is to try and sit up in your pew, imagining that there's sort of like a, a rope pulling up your head. Just to sort of stretch, stretch up a little bit. It's very good. I can hear, hear the movement. Fantastic. You didn't think this was going to happen when you came to church this morning, did you? Um, God cares about you physically. Now, feel your feet on the floor. I'm trying to ground you, trying to get you to notice things. Feel your feet on the floor. Feel your back against the pew. Uncomfortable, I know. We're doing something about that. We've got a building project. <laughs> um, but just f feel your back against the pew. And now close your eyes and just start to breathe. Start to breathe. Long, slow breaths in and out. In and out. Don't panic. This is not going to be Christian hypnotism. I'm not going to say, listen to my voice. Give all your money to Howard. We're not doing that. I just want you to take a moment just to stop, just to breathe. Keep breathing. Sorry, I've distracted you now. Keep your eyes closed. That's it. Just breathe in and out. And just begin to notice. That's all you need to do. Just start to notice yourself physically. What parts of your body are worn out, abused even? What parts are well cared for? What parts are not right, out of line, discomfort? Just start to notice where you are at physically in your body. Is there shoulders that are kind of still up? <laughs> Is your jaw still kind of clenched? Have you relaxed as you breathe out, relaxing your body to rest? Now, don't try and fix anything. If you're like, you can start to see, you know, problems and stuff like that. You, you want to try and fix stuff. Don't try and fix stuff. Just notice it. Take a moment to still yourself. Notice it and now bring it to God in prayer. Now just say, this is what I notice in my body right now, God. Help me to partner with you to find rest. Just bring it to God in prayer. Okay, I want to encourage you just to open your eyes now. We can't continue that, I'm afraid. Some of you look like you really enjoyed that <laughs> um, a lot. <laughs> Hopefully, you're all kind of coming back to life to me. But I just wanted to give you a, a taster of something that you can do. Um, so we've had two points so far. You really need to have a sacred place when you do solitude. You really need to focus on physical rest as a way to come into, actually, the presence of God. That's biblical, I would argue. Um, those are very helpful, but what is absolutely necessary is the third point, is mental perspective. It's, it's mental perspective, because when we get busy, we kind of get disordered in life, and everything seems to be going kind of crazy and, and haywire, we definitely lose perspective. There's a, a, a woman news, newsreader, um, God bless her, called Pierre Pedersen, Norwegian newsreader. 
And her life reached a point where she just kind of exploded live on air and had this like two-minute like rant to her nation about how stressed she was and how awful being a news reporter was. And, and she just wanted to quit and she was going to resign live on TV so that she says she could breathe again. Now, she began this kind of sort of verbal explosion with a statement saying, do you know what, there's nothing of any significance in the news that is worth reporting today. That's what she said right at the start. Now, that was the 11th of September, 2010. So for one, it was nine years after September 11. There's a lot that happened that day. <laughs> and for me, any day of significance is a day where people die, people suffer. And you can see, this is, you probably can't see actually, it's too, too small, but if you go on like Wiki News, you can just keep scrolling through a list of significant things again and again and again and again. People dying, terrorist atrocities, wars that are going on, you know, crises, important political events happening. There's all kinds of news. Most of it, I should say, is negative because our news is just obsessed with negative news. There's a whole load of hidden positive news of great stories and things that are happening that never get reported as well. She just totally lost perspective because of her life circumstances. I'm not judging her. I'm just using her story as an illustration to say we're all like that. And that's what happened to Elijah. Like he totally lost perspective. He's like, I'm the only one left. And right at the end, God says, uh-uh, 7,000 Elijah. Uh, 7,000, you, you've lost perspective. I, I get like this a lot, you know, I, I start to lose perspective, you know, leading a church, all the pressures of life going on, all this sort of stuff, and you can end up kind of getting discouraged, and you, your head goes down, you start looking down, you start trying to look inside yourself to summon up some kind of look for the hero inside yourself, as the world tells us to do, that's the solution, and I'll find him in here, and all I find is just like this terrified little boy if I'm honest. I think we're all a lot like that. You've kind of lost perspective. It feels overwhelming. It's impossible to go on. And in these moments, God would say, think and see. He would say, think, firstly. And he does this by asking Elijah a question. He asks the question twice in the passage. What are you doing here, Elijah? It's very interesting that God asks questions because God knows everything. He's omniscient. So he's not asking a question to gain for himself information. And it's very much like how God asked the very first question in the Bible, where are you, Adam? It's the same sentiment of question. It's an invitation to self-examination for the person receiving that question to start to think and say, this is where I'm at, this is why I'm here, this is what's going on in my life, for some self-reflection, that which is so rarely done when we're so stressed out and busy. Room to stop and think. What are you doing here? What's going on? I probably said that wrong, actually. <laughs> what are you doing here? It's more, what are you doing here? Kind of God's generously interested in trying to help Elijah work through his issues. That's what the question is. 
I love the way Ruth Haley Barton puts it in, in her book, Imitation to Solitude and Silence. She says it's like musical chairs. Life is full of kind of the noisy music that's going on out there. And it's loud, and you're kind of moving around these chairs to try and get the promotion, try and get the job, and all of that sort of stuff. And it is difficult, and you're kind of dancing to all of that music, and then suddenly the music stops, and you've just got to sit down right where you are, however sweaty, unhappy, or happy. Maybe you've got a seat. Maybe you're excluded from the game because you didn't get a seat. You just have to sit down right where you are. And that is what God encourages us to do in solitude and silence. You've got to sit down right where you are, however you are. No hairs and graces. Don't try and pretend. This is what Elijah does. He just says, actually, what he's feeling, even though it's wrong. He just says, I feel like I'm the only one left. I feel so alone, God. I feel terrified. This woman's going to kill me, and I've done all this stuff, and I'm, I'm burnt out. I'm exhausted. He's just honest with God. He's sharing what, what's really going on inside him. And God is trying to draw that out of him. God knows, but he's trying to draw that out of him. God wants you to sit down in solitude and give voice, words, to what's really going on inside you. To notice and to acknowledge how you feel. How you really feel. Whether it's a case in your life where you feel like, I've just been running around, I've been so busy doing all this stuff for other people, and I frankly feel neglected and unwanted or hurt by others. Or whether you're like, I've been counseling other people, but I've got my own issues, whatever they may be. Or, oh God, I'm angry at you. You took my child, you took my son, you took my daughter, you took my loved ones away from me, and I'm angry. But I'm afraid to do, say that because I'm not a Christian, I'm not meant to say that. God's got big shoulders. And he's encouraging you to let it out. For your sake. He wants to help you. You've got to bring this stuff, this darkness that gets into us, out into the light for his presence, for his light to come in. And when his light can come into those issues and those things we're struggling with in our lives, it transforms that darkness. Because we're saying, God, I don't want to hide this from you. God, I want to bring it out into the open for you to totally transform it. So important to do that. So important to do that. The second thing we need to do after we think is to see. We've begun to sort of see ourselves as we think about ourselves, but we need to start to see God. We need to stop looking down and start looking up. God does this consistently with people throughout the Bible. Abraham would just be one example where he gets discouraged. He's given a promise that he will have a son, a child, um, but like it's just not happening for him. It was already impossible. He already felt too old for that to happen, but now it's been years and nothing's happened. So God says, look up, see the stars. See my power. See that nothing is impossible for me. And so God goes on and does a little personal demonstration to Elijah, which we get the privilege of knowing about, of his awesome and almighty power. That's what I believe is going on here. Suddenly, a, 
a wind is whipped up out of nowhere. <laughs> Just came out of nowhere on this mountain and rocks are being torn apart. There's a power in this wind and then it transfers to, it to an earthquake and the entire ground around it is shaking all around. And then there's this holy ball of fire that Elijah is seeing and he's getting this sense of, whoa, this is the majesty of God, his creative power on display. All of it's like this divine disturbance designed to drown out all the noise that is going on in, our, in his life and in our lives to tune us down, to still us down, that we might hear the still, small voice of God. Because it's interesting, though God whips all of that up, he shows his creative power. It says three times, God wasn't in that, God wasn't in that, God wasn't in that. He chose not to put his presence into those things. He did those things, but he wasn't himself in those things. What is he in? He's in the still, small voice. See, solitude and silence will help you hear God's still, small voice. And what does this voice look like? I want to tell you it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's the beauty of his humility that he could have come in a flaming chariot surrounded by legions of angels, yet he shrinks down to become a little baby. He becomes an underdog. He becomes a victim. He becomes an innocent sufferer, the suffering servant on a cross. He is the word of God. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus. And the still small voice is the presence of God. This is what he's like. This is what we need to see and get hold of. And it's designed to show us he can do all of that. He's so powerful he doesn't need to. He's so powerful he can be a baby in this chaotic world and still be absolutely in control of everything. And he becomes willingly God, Jesus, on the cross, a victim of the worst loneliness and isolation imaginable. He's saturated with your sin, with your wrongdoing, with your faults, with your failures, with all of the stuff you've messed up on, all of the things that you've done that you, you, you're wrong, and all the things you should have done that you never did because of your own selfishness, and all of our, our mess. It, he becomes saturated with that, poisoned with that, defiled with that, destroyed with that, willingly out of love, so that you can be alone with God and not be destroyed by him. So that in your being alone with God, that you can know that you're loved by him. That you can draw close, that you can have the fellowship that he lost for that moment as he's suffering at the cross. He wins that for you by his sacrificial love. So that you can stop and be still and rest knowing that the God who created everything loves you so much he would die for you. I feel like I need to labor this point this morning that people doubt or question whether he loves you. He loves you. You need to be still and know that he loves you. He really loves you. And this leads into the fourth point, my final point, finding purpose. 
Elijah didn't go to God in this time of solitude and say, this is what I need to know. <laughs> this is the question that I have about how I should live my life. He doesn't do that. But that does come at the end of it. It's, it's interesting that it comes at the end. He simply just is open and authentic. He's real with God. He just wants to come and be in the presence of God and to enjoy God and the knowing comes. You see, if you, we be still and the knowing will come. Now, as a parent, um, you kind of learn the challenges of parenting children. And toddlers especially, there's something called the terrible twos phase that parents go through. It's got its own name, which you know, is, is common knowledge of how difficult it is. For our kids, it happened really early. Um, they kind of started really when they were one year old. And it, it's that they just get tantrums. They think the world is all about them. And they're just angry if a toy is taken or something doesn't happen that's their way. And they do like just strange stuff. They like, not only they, like stamp their feet is mild, they kind of, kind of go into a fit of rage and anger. And they kind of throw themselves on the floor and kick their legs up. I've seen other kids it's thankfully not my own. They've literally kind of got the floor and like banging their head on the floor like this or against the wall. And you're like, gosh, what terrible parents they must be. And, then <laughs> and you're like, no, 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 that could have been us. There's just no control over this. And what do you do? What's the advice? What do you do as a parent in those moments? They're too young to, to discipline them. So you've got to just make sure that they're safe. You get them away from any walls or dangerous objects or other kids are okay. And you kind of ignore them. And pray that they calm down quickly. And then eventually when they've settled down, all the noise inside them, there's a moment where you can speak into them and try and help them and, and coach them a little bit to learn how that might not happen next time. See, God loves you so much that he waits patiently for the waters to slowly settle down like that for a teachable moment where you'll be able to hear, where you'll be able to see, where you'll be able to think clearly. And in those moments, he can speak to you and tell you what is the next step, what is the next thing that he is calling you to do. Like what are the next good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do? For Elijah, that was to go and appoint two kings and also a successor called Elisha. He's going to have someone of mutual companionship. He wasn't going to be alone in ministry anymore. He's going to have somebody else he could invest in and train in, another grace of God. But what will it be for you? What is it for you? Well, the only way you get to find out is you've you got to be still. You've got to be still first. You've got to make time just to be with Jesus. Just as you are. Just as you are. And then he speaks. And he'll surprise you sometimes. But just to take time to enjoy the one who is willing to die for you. Now the band are going to come up now and in a moment we're going to respond in worship and then later we will have communion. But I feel there's just a moment for us as we come to this next worship song, as we engage in this next worship song, to be real with God, to be open and honest about where thanks for listening to sermon audio from Westminster Chapel if you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel please consider making a one-off or regular donation visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how